and welcome to Legal Voices, Meritas' official podcast channel where we bring to you industry-related legal updates. In our latest series, Mario Torres, lawyer at Meritas member firm Brazo Seller and co-chair of Meritas' Latin America and Caribbean Cannabis Law Group, interviews lawyers from around the world to learn more about how each jurisdiction is handling cannabis and marijuana legalization. Before I hand it off to Mario, and for those of you who are new to Meritas, Meritas is an established global alliance of closely connected yet independent law firms that each offer a full range of high-quality specialized legal services. We were built upon a rigorous system for monitoring and enhancing the quality of our member firms and have been connecting clients with carefully qualified business legal expertise in over 250 markets around the world since 1990. Hi everybody, Mario Torres here. Welcome to our second episode, where I'll be sitting down with our very own Trina Fraser from Brazel Seller Law. Trina is hands down one of the most well-regarded lawyers in this industry in Canada. She's been advising clients in the cannabis space since before it was cool, and I can honestly say I would not be where I am today without her support and encouragement. Welcome, Trina. Hi, Trina. Hi, Mario. So, Trina, this is uh, one of the first episodes of the Meritas Cannabis World Tour, and, and what better place to start than uh, pretty close to home here for me. So, so Trina is the founder of our cannabis practice group and, and is really the person that brought me into the practice of, of cannabis law in, in a couple different areas that I do practice. Um, so I think there's no, no better person that I could have started with this series. Trina, we're going to have just a pretty easy discussion about legalization of cannabis in Canada and what that is looking like and where we came from and, and where do we think we're going. Those are the real pillars of it. So I'll just jump right into it. How did Canada, you know, a G7 country, get to be in the state of legalization that it's in? And, and we'll certainly have to get a sense of what that looks like in a little bit more detail. Sure. Well, it's, I don't know that it's a totally easy answer to, or question to answer completely, but I'll give you my thoughts on it. I mean, this was really, I think, a significant policy change that was about a, almost a century in the making because cannabis was a completely prohibited substance here since the 1920s, you know, right through uh, until almost the end of the last century. So, Really what happened, you know, I believe was that the medical cannabis framework was what paved the way for legalization in this country. And really the medical framework that we had for about 20 years before legalization happened was really a result of the, um, you know, the civil disobedience of individuals who per were prepared to put their liberty at risk to, to pursue their belief uh, in cannabis as a medicine and the court challenges that, that resulted from those actions. So you know, really all boils down to section seven of our charter and rights and freedoms that says that you know we all have the rights to uh, life liberty and security of the person and then you know the courts interpreted that as meaning we shouldn't have to choose between our freedom and our, our ability to uh, to use medication that works for our bodies so I think that really set the stage with medical cannabis being legal in Canada um, changing social norms the emergence of commercial production licenses that happened here in 2014 for medical cannabis when the creation of of large publicly traded companies that grew very quickly there were kind of all of these different forces at play that kind of leaded into uh, a situation where 
cannabis uh, became, I think, a ripe campaign topic uh, or platform for the Liberal Party uh, in the election that took place when Justin Trudeau was elected. And just to back up a sec, because it's, it's interesting and some of our listeners may not know, when you talked about the Charter Section 7 and the court cases, what was specifically being challenged there under Section 7? And, and, and I know it's more detailed than, than, than this, but what did the court find in relation to cannabis? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll choose, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about one case in particular that I think was, is one of the seminal cases, really was a case, uh, the Parker case in Ontario, where a man by the name of Terry Parker, who had epilepsy, was growing cannabis and using cannabis to suppress his seizures. And he was charged under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, because at that point in time, any possession, production, um, or sale of cannabis was, was strictly prohibited and was an offense under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. So in defense of his charges, you know, he pleaded that that section violated his Section 7 charter rights because he was forced to choose between using cannabis, which he found was the only kind of successful way to, to uh, treat epilepsy for him, and, and his freedom because he was subjecting his, himself to possible imprisonment by committing an offense under the CDSA by doing so. And, you know, he was successful and that was a, uh, that decision of the Ontario Court of Appeal was what led to uh, really directly the creation of the medical program in Canada because the, those provisions of the CDSA were completely struck down. And uh, we were left with this complete, you know, complete vacuum or lack of any sort of restriction whatsoever. So, you know, the federal government in Canada was forced to take action and did create these new regulations to regulate the production and sale of cannabis for medical purposes only to fill that gap that was uh, that was created by the court striking down those provisions. So essentially, it does come down to you know, being facing potential penal consequences that put your your liberty, your freedom in jeopardy and subject you to possible imprisonment by making a choice which you believe is uh, promotes your health. No, understood. And then so what what was happening between the Parker decision and, you know, Trudeau's and the Liberal Party's campaign promises? Because we have a, what, a 15 to 20 year gap there where there are regulations of some sort existed, but there was a, a decent amount of time, more than a decade for sure, um, between those regulations being in place and, you know, the Cannabis Act and Cannabis Act regulations that we find ourselves within or with today. What what did that period of time look like? Yeah, there's about an 18-year span there between when that medical program was created and when we saw the Cannabis Act come into effect in 2018. So it was it was ever changing. There was, you know, it wasn't like the initial medical framework that the federal government created was uh, to everyone's satisfaction. So, you know, there continued to be court challenges, mostly based on Section 7 of the Charter. Those court challenges were successful in many cases, and and the government was forced to make further kind of uh, revisions and and subtle nu- nuance changes to the framework. But the main change came in about 2013 when the government decided, you know, this kind of program we've created where you grow your own medicine or you have somebody grow it for you or you buy from a government supply wasn't really working for the federal government any longer. And the preference was to move to a system where it was all commercial production through licensed companies. And so that was kind of a major fundamental shift in 20, which came into effect in 2014 
and we started to see the emergence of an actual industry where we had businesses that were created for the purpose of getting licensed and producing and selling medical cannabis. You know, uh, the personal production side of things was taken away, but was very quickly challenged and was successfully challenged. And then, you know, a few years later, we saw it reintroduced into the iteration of the medical framework that basically we still have today, which is this hybrid of both. So you can buy from a licensed producer your medication and have it shipped to you, or you can register to grow it yourself or have, or you can designate someone to grow it for you. So that's, that's really kind of what transitioned into the Cannabis Act in 2018 and what we still have today. And during that period of time, and, and it's maybe an anecdotal piece, but I remember during that time, I grew up in Vancouver and in Vancouver, it was certainly pre-2017, there were many cannabis dispensaries, they, they would call themselves, and the city seemed to be okay with them. My understanding is that they were charging them a pretty significant fee to operate, like a licensing fee, but, mm-hmm. but that they were. So is this what was termed the, the gray market that, that I've heard about? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely widespread non-compliance with the legal framework, right? It, it, whether it was selling medical cannabis from storefronts, which wasn't part of the medical framework and still isn't today. It's a mail-only delivery system for medical cannabis, or whether it was just pure recreational sales that were outside of the legal framework completely at that point in time. You know, there was a vast gray market, illicit market, whatever you want to call it in this country. And we got to the point, I think, where law enforcement agencies who were being forced to deal with scarce resources and how to allocate those resources in the most uh, you know, efficient and effective way to advance public health and safety. You know, many were just actually, like the Vancouver Police Department, were basically coming out and saying, look, unless, unless there's some reason for us to believe you know, there's other aggravating factors like their, you know, or connections to organized crime or there's intentionally selling to kids or there's other types of drugs involved, things like that. We're pretty much going to leave you alone. We've got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. We've got other problems, more important problems that we have to deal with in the sale of cannabis. And so it almost became to a point where it was, it felt like it was de facto legal and that wasn't the same maybe right across the country i think vancouver was probably one end of the spectrum and probably as you moved east it, things changed but there certainly across the country was you know widespread obviously use and sale and production of cannabis outside the legal framework and you know as i said the public opinion about uh, i think when we got to the point where cannabis legalization was introduced we had reached the point where polls were showing where the majority of Canadians were certainly either in support of it or indifferent to the concept of either legalization or at least decriminalization of cannabis. So that led to, if I understand correctly, a platform position by the then the the Liberal Party that was seeking to be elected. They made it part of their platform the legalization of cannabis, and we ended up with the Cannabis Act and its regulations. If it's possible, Trina, I know it's a tough one, but in a nutshell, what has that created as far as an industry? And when I think the thing that's important to people that don't know much about Canadian, you know, our legislation is parts here are fall under federal jurisdiction and then the other parts fall to the provinces. So what you may see in Ontario is not what you may see in New Brunswick or Alberta or British Columbia. So in, in a nutshell, what, what did we end up with here in Canada? 
Yeah, well, we ended up with a framework where essentially what the federal government did was they just expanded the production framework we already had for medical cannabis. So there's no delineation between the production of cannabis that's destined for the recreational market versus the medical market. The, the rules about how cannabis is cultivated, how it's processed, labeled, packaged are the same in both streams. And so really the existing medical producers upon legalization were just permitted to kind of expand the scope of what they were making to be sold into the recreational stream as well. The medical framework also remained federal, uh, mm -hmm. but what the Fed said were provinces and territories, you can decide for yourself how you'd like recreational cannabis distributed and sold in your province. So we did end up with a mishmash and we still have today a variety of approaches, approaches as you go across the country, everything from Saskatchewan, which is a completely private system where you have private distributors, private retailers, and retailers can, can deal directly with producers to um, you know, a number of provinces like Quebec, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, where it's a completely public system where the government controls all distribution and all sale, both online and storefront with some provinces, you know, again, with hybrid models kind of in between. So every province and territory that you go into the framework is a little bit different. You know, part of the federal framework was that you could also grow four plants at home yourself for recreational purposes without any type of, you know, approval or registration required. And, you know, the provinces of Manitoba and Quebec decided they didn't like that. So there was a provincial prohibition on home growing and imposed by those provinces, despite the fact that federally it was legal. Those have been challenged in those provinces and are undergoing active court challenges right now. So we'll see where that ends up. But you know, the rules about where you can consume, how old you have to be, the minimum age was set at 18 uh, as a federal default, but has been altered and raised in a few provinces, including Quebec, where the minimum age was raised to 21 ultimately. You know, in many provinces, it was raised to 19. In any given place where you are within Canada, if you are wanting to consume cannabis, you know, where you buy it, what you're allowed to buy, how old you have to be to buy it, and where you can consume it, the, the, the answers to those questions are going to be different depending on where you're located. Interesting. Is there a province that you would say has taken a more cannabis-friendly approach to some that may be less so? Yeah, I would say Saskatchewan's probably one of the most cannabis friendly in the sense that the government has really stepped back and allowed just industry to, to kind of control distribution and sale. There's obviously a licensing process that has to take place and you have to go through regulatory approvals, but the supply chain does not include the government. So there's no government markup on the provinces. The gov uh, uh, sorry, the no government markup on the products. The provinces decided not to include itself in the supply chain in any respect. You know, you could contrast that with a province like Quebec, where the government has entirely controlled distribution and sale. The SQDC is the only uh, online retailer, the only uh, storefront seller, the only distributor, the exclusive distributor of cannabis within the, within the province. And in addition to that, the provincial government in Quebec has you know, tried to ban home growing, has put restrictions on how cannabis producers can promote their products and has actually restricted the type of products that they're allowed or that they are permitted to sell and are prepared to sell in SQDC stores. So no topicals, you know, uh, lower concentrates and lower um, amounts of THC and edibles, 
you know, all of these restrictions and taking a very kind of prohibitionist approach, I think, to the cannabis industry there. So, and again, every province is a little bit different. Some of them post surtaxes and kind of extra taxes on certain types of cannabis products and taken other steps, which, you know, would certainly be conceived as, uh, you know, not being conducive to promoting the legal industry over the illicit one. So if someone wanted a topical in Quebec, they couldn't get one ex except through the medical stream? Correct. So, yeah. so given there's a, a bit of a mishmash, Trina, and, and um, we're 2021, so there's about three years have passed almost since, you know, the government said go to the industry. What have we seen as far as growing pains maybe? And, and if we have seen some growing pains for the industry, what do you think are, are some possible resolutions to those or what could continue to allow the industry to, to flourish and to, you know, develop as, as we know it's in its infancy, it's, uh, you know, three years in. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing that we're going to be watching very closely in the industry is the review of the cannabis act, which is going to commence this fall. So when the cannabis act was brought into force, uh, built right into the act was this mandatory review at the three year mark. So that will be this fall and Health Canada will be conducting a kind of a comprehensive review of cannabis legalization, um, in particular what its effect has been on public health and safety, uh, use of cannabis by minors and things of, you know, how much of a dent we've put into the illicit market. All of these issues are going to be studied and recommendations probably made, uh, I would think, to, to amend the, the, the act or the regulations and the framework in some way to Parliament. So, you know, we're going to see um, a lot of things criticized from an industry point of view, certainly from the tension between trying to promote public health and safety versus displace the illicit market has swung too far in favor of the kind of protectionist side of public health and safety. And it's come at the expense of the ability of the industry to really flourish, the legal industry to flourish and, and displace the illicit market. So, you know, did we find the right balance? Maybe not quite. Maybe we were a little over protectionist and maybe there's some room to allow cannabis companies, for example, to do a little more robust promotion of products in a way that's still not going to be appealing to kids. Maybe, you know, we can look at the way that we're requiring these products to be packaged and labeled or uh, certain restrictions on how the products are made, how much THC is allowed to go into the products. You know, all of these things uh, will be subject to analysis and review this year and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think taxation and duties is another big issue that we're going to have to look at that the industry has been complaining about. When you look at the annual um, federal regulatory fees, the federal excise duties on the pro uh, products, uh, goods and services, sales taxes on the products. And as I say, these additional taxes that have been placed on certain types of products in certain provinces, the taxation burden on cannabis is very high in this country and has, has certainly been a challenge for the industry as well. So, you know, we'll be taking a look and I'm sure on the medical side, especially making some very strong advocacy um, statements to uh, hopefully remove all taxation and all duties for medical cannabis at the very least, but also taking a look at whether we are essentially, um, you know, frustrating the efforts of the legal industry to displace the illicit market by overtaxing it. And, and if I understand correctly, not, not only overtaxing, but maybe not 
allowing it to compete at the same level if, if we're talking about THC limits. I think I've seen or we've all seen articles where the, the illicit market promotes its products very similarly to very well-known products in, in the marketplace and other marketplaces, candy and, and things of this nature, and also their, their THC level, the THC content is such that it's really difficult for the, I guess maybe Trina, if you want to, can, can you explain that a bit? Like what limits are there on THC currently in edibles or beverages? And I'll just give you anecdotally something I saw on Twitter. Somebody said, in order for me to feel a buzz off of cannabis beverages, I need to consume 400 grams of sugar. Nice. And, and so can you explain that to maybe somebody who doesn't know what, what, what's going on there? Yeah, so um, Canada landed on 10 milligrams of THC as being the limit as to what could go any, into any package of an edible product. So that would be a solid edible or a, or a beverage, right? That would qualify as edibles. And there's been a lot of criticism of that as being an unduly low limit. Now, you know, many states in the U.S. that have legalized cannabis uh, have edibles packaging limits that are much higher than that. They may limit the amount in one serving to 10 milligrams of THC, but then they would permit placement of multiple servings within a package. So that's something that's been criticized very highly from the outset. Health Canada's response was, we're trying intentionally to take a very conservative approach here that's going to hopefully minimize the opportunity for people to accidentally over ingest or for you know harm to come to children who are who mistake it for regular food and consume it by limiting the amount that's in any one package to 10 milligrams of THC but you know that that might not be a you know a huge deal for something like a like a bite-sized uh, gummy or something of that nature where you know easy enough to pop a few of them I guess in from different packages if you really wanted to but, um, you know, for something like a, a cookie or a, like a baked good, for example, if you had to buy separate ones just to get 10 milligrams each time and you, you happen to be a consumer who wants to ingest more than 10 milligrams of THC in one setting, you're, you know, yes, potentially consuming a lot of calories and a lot of uh, sugar to, to, to get the dose that you're looking for. I think another concern has been on the environmental side where we're really restricting the amount of THC in one particular package and we're creating a need for consumers to buy multiple packages of things that they could otherwise buy in one package, we're really duplicating and, and exponentially increasing the amount of packaging that uh, you know, is, is seen to be quite wasteful and harmful to the environment. So again, I'm sure this will be an issue that will be a hot topic of discussion during the upcoming review and we'll we'll see if there's any um, inclination to budge. I think we're probably still going to, as a country, err on the side of caution and promote, promoting public health and safety. But, you know, I think these are some of the issues that I think there probably is uh, room for discussion at least on. Thank you, Trina. Just to finalize, what is that review process um, and maybe more importantly, the timeline? So, so for somebody that, that wants to follow on, when can we expect I guess maybe one submissions and then two some sort of report or some sort of update from the government of what they heard after the the review process yeah we're really not sure yet exactly what to expect we know it's going to start in october at the latest because that is mandated within the cannabis act itself 
uh, and the Act also says that the review must be completed within 18 months and presented to Parliament within 18 months. But Health Canada has yet to announce what that review process is going to actually entail or look like. And my understanding is that Health Canada is still working on that. So, you know, I, I'm assuming that there will be some sort of consultative process where uh, the public will have an opportunity to, to submit comments uh, as well, but, you know, still waiting to hear exactly what that's going to look like and what the process will be. Okay, well, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. Definitely. Okay, thank you, Trina. Thanks again, Trina. Our guest today was Trina Fraser from Brazo Seller Law in Ottawa, Canada. Again, just one of the best in the business. Thank you very much for joining us today and have a wonderful day. On behalf of Meritas, thank you for listening. Find this week's show notes and a variety of other free resources on the News and Insights section of the Meritas website, www.meritas.org. Be sure to join us next week to learn more about cannabis regulations around the globe. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful day.